Hey listeners of Compliments to the Chef, it's your girl Nancy, and I have a quick announcement before today's episode. Top Chef has finally announced that season 21, Wisconsin, will be premiering on March 20th, 2024, and we are counting down the days until then. But not sure if you guys knew this, we've been trying to rewatch all of season six before the premiere date, and we didn't know when that was going to be, so we've sort of been rushing to get episodes out. But now that we know when the season's going to start, we have a little more clarity on our posting schedule. So wanted to let you all know that you can look for new episodes of Compliments to the Chef every Monday and Thursday, every week between now and March 20th, the premiere date. After that, episodes will launch weekly on Thursday mornings. We are so excited to have you along for the ride, so let's get into it. Welcome back to Compliments to the Chef. I'm your host, Nancy. And I'm Bits. And we are very excited today to talk about Season 6, Las Vegas, Episode 5. We got a lot to unpack. Oh my goodness. Do we ever. I think, I know I say this every episode, but honestly, this is maybe my favorite so far. Really? I don't know why. I, will, I think I'll, we'll, we'll pluck away at that. So video. much, okay, we're clearly chomping at the bit, to use a food term. Uh, actually, I don't, we should look up what chomping at the bit, the etymology is. I actually think it has nothing to do with food. Well, no, it's a, the bit is what goes in a horse's mouth. So that's like when you're, when you're riding a horse, it's the bit. So when a horse is eager, it's like because it, it's uh, chomping oh, at the bit. Oh, wow. Yeah. You learned something new. Okay, cool. Well, anyway, <laughs> we just well, left over it ourselves. We are chomping at the bit. We're chomping at the bit <laughs> to talk about it. But before we do, want to just welcome any new listeners who are just finding us. Um, address some feedback we've been given from our already incredible fan base of listeners. Rabid fan base. Rabid. Talk about <laughs> chomping. <laughs> um, first, we just want to say thank you to our fans. We love you. Love you. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok. Um, I have really been using this as a foray into TikTok. Just a little bit of like a cool thing that happened this week was Jen Carroll ah! <laughs> liked our Instagram. Very cool. Honestly, this is like the sort of like beginning of the end of everything. You think it's Wait. the end? I don't want it to be the end for Wait. us. <laughs> I well, think it's like the, a positive way to put that. I think it's, it's the beginning okay. of a great... <laughs> it's just the beginning. It doesn't need to have a like a whole phrase. Anyway, ending. if anyone listening is like good at celebrity engagement on Instagram, yeah. please let us know because we didn't really know what to do and I think we let our moment pass with Jen Carroll. We did. But we love you, Jen. If Woo! you ever listen to this, thanks for the like. Okay, so anyways, let's uh, let's let's get into it with some leftovers. So um, we want to reheat some some items we needed to fact check between uh, this week and last week. We had quite a few, Nancy. Um, I'll uh, I'll kind of pass it to you because I think we left one hanging from yes. a few episodes ago, actually. Yeah. So something that you probably can guess is bits, and I love the sound of our own voices, and so we're probably the number one <laughs> listeners of our own podcast. <laughs> And upon re-listening to episode three, two episodes ago, I realized that I made a grave error in Mm -hmm. saying that I would follow up on something in Leftovers the following episode, episode four. And if you listen to episode four, you probably noticed I didn't follow up. And that was? And that was how to make ricotta cheese. Mm. I'm always amazed when people make cheese in their own home. I was under the impression, clearly false impression, that... 
it's a very involved process that involves cage uh, cave aging right. and all and like wheels of cheese all this yada yada i think there's a lot of cheese that is like that but ricotta is not one of those so i looked it up and for anyone out there listening who's interested in making ricotta cheese at home all you need is half a gallon of whole milk not unpasteurized oh, sorry not uht pasteurized mm-hmm. don't know what that means um, and then with that, you need one third of a cup of lemon juice, distilled white vinegar, or citric acid, um, and then a teaspoon of salt. The way that you actually execute creating the ricotta cheese is warm the milk to 200 degrees Fahrenheit in a pot over the stove, add the lemon juice and salt, let the milk sit for 10 minutes, in which time the curds will be able mm. will begin to appear. Don't touch it. Don't touch it in that 10 minutes. Then you, after 10 minutes, pour the mixture of curds over a cheesecloth, and then you let that sit for 10 minutes to 60 minutes. So when Ashley was doing it, I imagine she went for the 10-minute version. Yeah. Um, And then you can use or store your ricotta at your pleasure. That's awesome. Maybe I'll go home and make some ricotta after this. Probably won't, though. And you'll get Mark Peel, RIP, saying, you made this ricotta? You made this ricotta? (laughs) It'll summon him like a genie (laughs) out of my pot of colored whey. Um, Okay, next leftover, Fitz. Yes, so this one's a little bit more involved. So, um, you know, there's a lot of there there when it comes to Padma and the story of Padma. Um, We kind of glazed over, like, you know, what what her journey into Chop Chef was. So did a little bit of sleuthing. It's really interesting, actually. So kind of doing like the Wayback Machine on Google and looking at, you know, Padma, the the sort of like reception of Padma in the like mid 2000s to the reception of Padma now uh, is fascinating. As of this time, as of season six, um, really negative opinions on Padma. Um, Really? That's surprising because she's sort of like a hot bombshell. No, well, I mean, exactly that. So I would say, you know, for context before Top Chef, uh, Padma was most well known as being the first Indian supermodel, um, but she also really wasn't a stranger to the culinary world. Um, as a televisionary 2007 blog post put it, um, quote, having hosted cooking series Padma's Passport and documentary series Planet Food on Food Network, um, for the latter, Lakshmi actually traveled the world on an ongoing quest for exotic cuisine. Uh, and at this time in 2007, she was actually working on her uh, second cookbook, um, following her first cookbook, Easy Exotic. So she was starting to like make her way into food, but I think, you know, that plus the timing of like 2007, plus the fact that she was married very um, infamously to Salman Rushdie. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, at the time, she was 2004 to 2007. So I think she was like really trying to step out of a lot of shadows, like, you know, her supermodeldom and her husband. And then I think part of the Padma story that we were kind of curious about last week is like, what's the vibe between Padma and Tom? And like, I've actually never looked this up for as long as I've been a Top Chef fan. Um, So I kind of did the same, right? So back in 2007, as far as where um, Tom's head head was at, uh, it wasn't a lot of chatter, to be honest. And a lot of the, the opinions of Padma at the time came from Top Chef contestants who like really were kind of nasty, like didn't take her seriously. You know, one of them said... Quote, um, are we allowed to say disparaging things about Padma when, yeah, when they were asked, what? like, if they trust Padma's culinary taste? Because she was judging their food. And so they would essentially right. say, like, 
who's this bitch? Excuse exactly. my language. I mean, that's basically like judging my food. Who are you? Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Um, another one said, nothing she said really made a difference in my cooking. So Ooh. they were like, she was kind of a spicy choice at the time. Um, wow. Yeah. She really had not made a name for herself as a voice yeah. in the culinary world. And, and then you kind of compare that against where she ended up 2020. Tom Colicchio, kind of going back to like his opinion on her. He says, Padma does all the heavy lifting here. She works a lot more than I do. And she does all the quick fires and all the eliminations. Lakshmi, about her uh, co-star Tom Colicchio, said, He can appear quite serious and stern on Top Chef, but he also has a great sense of humor and a softer side that isn't seen on the show. Um, he's a good guitar player, has a great sense of humor, and he's very good with kids, including Whoa. mine. Ooh. So I think maybe there's like, like it's very professional. It's a there's co-worker a prof- relationship. Yeah, professional respect. But I wouldn't say that they're like homies hanging out. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so, so, super interesting. Anyway, sorry to go on like a massive Padma tangent, but she just fucking rules. So She does. And then um, the other leftover that I wanted to follow up on that I know you looked into is truffle oil. This was something that I noticed last week. They, um, two chefs used truffle oil and that was an ingredient that was very of the moment in 2009. So, but I, if I recall correctly, Gail Simmons had a bit of a rant about it. Did you look it up? Yes. So she went on a public, uh, public radio show called Ask Me Another. Oh my god, I used to listen to that with yeah. Ophira Eisen something. It was like a quiz show on NPR. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, the quote here is, <clears throat> Truffle oil is the thing that everyone loves to hate. But you know, once in a while, don't deny it. Okay, yeah. So I sort of remember this correctly. Yeah. It wasn't quite a tirade. Um, but she definitely had some, uh, some opinions on truffle oil. So the very last episode uh, leftover that we need to heat up before we actually get into this episode. Yes. And sorry for the long wait, but you guys, you said you like to hear us talk, so <laughs> we delivered. <laughs> okay, so what we're going to do is a quick where are they now for our fallen chef of the very first high stakes quick fire ever on Top Chef in episode four, Jesse Scandlin. Jesse on Instagram goes by Ch- Jesse Pancake Scandlin. Mm. I'd love to know if that's her legal middle name. But... Regardless, <laughs> she still lives in Baltimore, and she is the chef slash owner of three restaurants. One called Sally O's, which is a sort of tiki-esque mm. uh, dinner restaurant. The next is called The Dive, which is a dive bar and sort of diner fare. Like. Upscale, I think, a little bit. And then Bunnies, which is upscale southern comfort food. Hmm. And she seems to be a bit of a hometown hero, which is really exciting. That's cool. There are a lot of um, articles in local newspapers about her, yeah. how she's like a big name in the Baltimore culinary scene. So I'm very happy to hear that for her. Her last words on the show were, I want people to know I don't suck this bad. And clearly, they, they know. know. So that's great. <laughs> Gosh, okay, we made it to the end of leftovers. This was like a Thanksgiving meal worth of yeah, leftovers. This it was, was a huge. Lot. Thanks for sticking with us, but why don't we begin? Let's get into it. My goodness. Okay. Nancy. Quick fire reactions to this episode. We've got cowboys. We've got ranches. Lay it on me. Love it. Oh my gosh. I really, there's always one episode every season where they have to cook in 
um, unpleasant conditions. Mm -hmm. And this is that episode, and it's just so much fun. Uh, You see them weathering the great outdoors. You see who's made of thick skin and who's a bit of a what we used to call trail Barbies when I would leave backpacking trips. And it just was really fun to see how they all reacted to that as the challenge was just surviving in and of itself. Oh, 100%. Um, <laughs> the first thought I had actually watching this is, Tags is forever. <laughs> this was a very, like, cowboy Friday Night Lights fucking, coded. Yes, dude. I'm, I'm re-watching Friday Night Lights right now. And basically, if you know me, you know this because I can't stop talking about how I'm watching it. So now you all know too. What season are you on? <clears throat> who knows? I The guy who, like, got in the wheelchair in the first season, like, had a kid out of nowhere. Oh, like, I oh first, you're I, like, deep. missed a couple. Yeah, and now he's a kid and, like, is in love with a woman. I'm like, where? <laughs> and he's, like, trying to flip Buddy Garrity house whatever okay sorry <clears throat> this is not a friday night this lights is not podcast. friday night lights uh anyway so yeah well um not to quote uh jeremy strong but to me this was the most dramaturgically comedic episode so far i just thought like this the the, the way that this was shot you've got these like open like just like frames of like the chef standing and like just staring out at like the middle distance and they're like dirt pile teepee setup like it was crazy oh my god <laughs> i just loved it and yes like the other thing i wrote here too is that they put the the glad family of products to use in this one there was a lot of glad out there oh they were prepping in their tuppers yo those tuppers were overfloweth <laughs> the tuppers overfloweth oh god but i love this episode i mean it's fun for the whole family. And you know what I, I thought on this one too is, uh, and I, this is every episode, but I love in these earlier Top Chef seasons that they do the fun little sassy like intro, uh, you know, like when the music's playing, like the, the opener, right? Like and all the chefs are like doing their little sassy poses and their jazz. I just love that. I think they still do it. We just fast forward through it. I don't think in the Where latest the seasons they even like, have don't the don't chefs. Don't, 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 don't. <laughs> I don't know. We'll check that out. That'll be a repeat. <sighs> okay, um, but moving on to the actual episode. Yeah. Something that I really want to talk about. There are two things at the top of this episode that I really want to talk about. Number one being Michael Voltaggio kicks off the episode with a talking head. By the way, have you ever noticed that Michael Voltaggio's talking heads are very claustrophobic? Yes! I wrote that! It's so zoomed in, and he's, he's so, so close to the camera. He's very close. He, his, the top of his head is always gone. Yes. Yeah. No, he it's distracting, actually. the most yeah. alarming countenance in those interviews. Yeah, he's sort of like, like, he's like, his body language is threatening. Yes. And his face is very sunburnt, so he's like a little red and mad about it. It's yeah. So, yes, wild. okay, I'm glad, anyway, okay. Moving on. (laughs) Mike V starts this with a very claustrophobic talking head where he says, quote, Mike, I, Brian, and myself are the top chefs in the competition. Yeah. I take umbrage with this statement. Hmm. Mike, I has been in the bottom twice. Jen Carroll has never been on the bottom. She has won more challenges than Mike Isabella. How dare Michael... Did he put Kevin in that list or just his brother and Mike? No, he literally just said wow. the top three chefs in the competition are Mike, I, Brian, and myself. Piece of shit. First off, grammatically, grammatically incorrect or right. whatever. Um, but it just really pisses me off. The hubris 
to leave out yeah. who I think is one of the top performing chefs of the entire season, and also to leave out Kevin, Dude. who statistically is the top performing yes. chef so far. Yes. It's really infuriating. He's had, I mean, actually, this whole episode, he wasn't just his talking head. He had a big head. Every time he opened his mouth, he was saying shit like that this episode. Um, yeah, it really rubbed me the wrong way. And it made me lose a lot of respect for him, honestly. Yeah, I agree. I was upset with how he characterized it. Also, just because Mike I is the biggest loser. Yeah, he and he only makes, like, whack-ass-looking Greek food, too. Yeah, and Mike V just likes that Mike I, like, you know, blows smoke up his ass all the time. Okay, oh I won't God. go on too long about this. It just really upset me. The other thing that I want to talk about at the top of this episode is we have a winner for contestant most likely to miss a major life event. Congratulations, Ashley, Ashley. who missed the the birth of her brother's baby. Yep, her niece, nephew, we don't know. Right, and I I have an honorable mention on our predictions. Uh, I'll get to that once we kind of get into the episode, but... But yes, congratulations, Ashley. Um, so proud, or so happy for you and your brother. Yeah, I mean, the kid's probably like 30 at this point. Like, you know. We could do the math on <laughs> like that. 50? We'll do it leftovers. Okay, he's, he's probably going to prom. <laughs> don't make um, us do quick math. Don't make us, don't make me sing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that was um, funny. It was happy for her. It was really sweet to see her relationship with her brothers. I really like Ashley. I love Ashley, dude. I love her. She's great. Um, so but anyways, Mike. Let's get to the quick fire. Mike was not the only thing that was prickly this episode because our quick fire challenge today, which was hilarious because this was like back in the era where you like texted in to like vote, like vote on things in like Very reality circa TV. circa American Idol. So the challenge for this quick fire this week was... Um, the fans got to select what ingredient the top chefs had to cook with in the quick fire. Um, the options that they had were cactus, kangaroo, and rattlesnake. Um, luckily for, I, honestly, I think everybody, cactus one. <laughs> I have to believe that they rigged this. Like, yeah. if I were a fan, maybe this is just, uh, we live in an era of trolls, but I have to imagine that the audience would have picked rattlesnake or kangaroo over cactus. Yeah. Which is an ingredient that is actually not that obscure anymore. Right. With like the onset of new age Mexican cuisine. And it just, that was very funny to me. Yeah. Big cactus was certainly behind this one. Um, So they had 45 minutes in this one. It was a high stakes. So the winner is getting 15K. Um, So yeah, just a quick, you know, we don't have to like linger too much on this one. Um, we get to meet Tim Love, who yes, is our I guest did, judge. I did a little yeah. research on Tim Love. Yeah, tell us a little bit about it's him. It's very quick. He is a pioneer of urban Western cuisine. He focuses, his primary region is he that he has restaurants in is Dallas-Fort Worth. He's okay. a very big name there. Um, however, he did attempt to open a restaurant in New York City in oh. 2006 called Lonesome Dove. And according to Wikipedia, Lonesome Dove Western Bistro in New York City closed in March 2007 after six months, which included unfavorable reviews by the New York Times and New York Magazine. Whoa. So crash and burn in above Western the Mason Dixon. Bistro is like kind of a gross like pairing of words. Yeah. But anyway, um, that's who Tim Love is. That's all okay. I got to say. Let's talk about it the cooking. looks exactly like this dude I went to college with too. It's kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> Let's okay. get to the food. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, you know... On the whole, um, most of the chef testants are having a pretty difficult time working with cactus. Uh, they don't really know how to deal with the sort of like sliminess. Um, pretty quickly, we see that Mike I, honestly, shockingly, is the only person who knows how to work with cactus. So he's salting it to get that tender, uh, reduce that sort of like, yeah, sliminess. Um, 
But uh, one thing that I did want to flag is Laureen, a, a bit of an honorable mention on a prediction, which is like most likely to cook like shit until eventually realizing like they need to cook their own food. Um, neither of us had her for this category and, and I'm actually not going to award it to her because I think part of awarding this particular prediction has to do with the judges acknowledging it as well, which they didn't do here. So it was really just Laureen saying like, I'm going to cook food my way. And um, she did come out on, you know, she was a favorite in this quick fire. Mm-hmm. Um, Before we get to top and bottom, just two, a few things I want to mention. One, Robin falling. <laughs> It's oh, not God. nice yeah. to relish in other people's demise. But it is funny. When the funny, fall, the funny aspect of it was not the fall, but after the fall, she goes wet spot. Ooh, wet spot <laughs> was the wet spot there before or after she fell? Yeah, unclear. <laughs> so that was just silly. Um, the next thing I want to mention is Ash, who made his Asian chicken wing. Uh, now we can add latin flavors oh boy um which he clearly generalized everything below the united states so scary looking (laughs) i I actually that was the one thing i've seen maybe this whole season that i was like that is really bad from a distance like what the the tortillas were like an inch thick (laughs) it looks so bad also there's no way he couldn't find an apparatus in the kitchen that could flatten something and then you just have these like tiny little like morsels in between it was so weird looking it looked gross uh but the last thing i want to call out here is jen carroll finally made a non-fish protein oh my god she i believe had sausage in her she had chorizo okay and i was just really excited to see her finally branch out and become um amphibious or whatever it is honestly Uh, she made landfall um i want a special shout out as well um i actually really loved him (laughs) I love Tim Love. I think he's got great commentary this episode. My favorite, uh, my favorite critique he lobbed during the quick fire was at Ron's cactus, which he said, "quote He didn't like the rancid crab." Um, wow! Like if there were ever like a pair, like rancid crab has to be more rancid than anything that could be rancid. Like, damn, it's got to be gross. But also like. Do you think it was rancid out of the fridge? Like, how is the Top Chef kitchen being... There's no stock- way that was, like, good crab. So, yes, I think it was started from a rancid place and it stayed in a rancid And I guess, place. honestly, like, of course you can say, well, the Top Chef kitchen shouldn't have rancid crab in it. But at the same time, like, he should have tasted it. Or smelled and, it, yeah. Yeah, like, there, it just... And actually, that's interesting foreshadowing for later in the episode, which we won't get to. But, okay, let's just quickly summarize. Top in this was Lorene, mm-hmm. Mike Isabella. In my notes, I have parentheses, ugh. Mateen, surprise of the century, yeah, the honestly. French chef. And um, Mike wins, which I have in my notes, ugh, so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, whatever. It, and then it's the higher he climbs, the further there is to fall. So we can look Exactly. That. And then we have a bit of a, ta- a claustrophobic talking head from Mike Voltaggio saying that he'd rather be able to make interesting flavors than take the slime out of cactus. So a bit of a sore loser there. Oh, yeah. On the bottom of this, we have Ash, which, um, to your point about Tim Love, quote, no flavor, tortilla's too thick, and it's dry in the mouth. So just dry in the mouth, baby. Yeah. We have um, 
Michael Voltaggio. Oh, he was really sensitive. Yes. And uh, Tim Love's commentary was, it was like two trains coming together. Like, <laughs> that is some really cutting criticism yeah. for Mike V, who is not used to that yeah. type of uh, negative feedback. I wonder if this was, like, if this is in the moment of love. Well, no, because I guess this would have been a couple years after his Western Bistro closed down in New York. So I think maybe he's carrying a little bit of that negative energy with him and trying to redirect it um we'll it see. certainly came through that way in this episode <laughs> yeah but... he didn't like it and then yeah. last but not least we have ron with the rancid crab and overcooked fish yep so that is a summary of our quick fire challenge let's keep this ball moving rolling excuse me uh to the elimination challenge oh yeah the elimination challenge prepare a high-end lunch for chef love and two dozen cowboys outdoors on a ranch Yes, and and I believe the words that they threw around were innovation and cowboys, like a few times. Like the word innovation came up, which is and like this is not a word. Before I would the heyday there. of like the 2014 startup era of like yeah. big data, yeah, cowboys, <laughs> and it's yeah high end lunch. Yeah, a lot of yeah interesting words. Um, but of course, like to me, like the question I have though is like, how are you feeling about this, Nancy? We just I feel like we just had. The episode where like oh the kitchen was like less than ideal when they're cooking at the at the um, airline hangar last week. Um, I have thoughts about this. Yeah, is this like gratuitous at this point? Like, so Jen Carroll has a talking head where she's like, "I'm sick of these uncertain yeah. cooking conditions," and I think this is production. I think they're wearing down uh, their chef testants. I yeah. think this is part of the game, and you have to be willing to weather these storms. And then you know you get rewarded later on with. The greatest panel of French chefs of the century, um, but you sort of have to put in your work to be yeah. able to have those uh, incredible opportunities. And I think it's really just this is a manipulation game on the part of production. So I agree, like it's maybe not the most fair thing in the world, but I do think it is completely um, concocted on the yeah. part of production to have two of these in a row. Yeah. Okay. But they also focus that even in spite of the subpar cooking conditions, you cannot compromise your food. It must be well-prepared, well-cooked, and well-presented. Mm-hmm. So they're really stressing that, like, there are no excuses here for why your food would look like shit. Right. Or taste like Except shit. Except there's a lot of excuses, which let's actually get into the sort of setup that they find themselves in when they arrive at the ranch. So they, you know, do their little shopping at Whole Foods. They, like, kind of roll up. It is truly, like... Just patch of dirt with some teepees, like prairie out. abyss, and like there's fire pits in the ground. There's a covered wagon, like with pantry goods. Um, it, it honestly, the first thought I had was like, yo, this is like the elephant graveyard from The Lion King. It was like really just nothing there, like the tumbleweeds going by. Like it was hilarious. I do wonder if production knew just how bare bones it would be. I don't know. I gosh, I think my in another life I would be a producer on Top Chef. Yeah. I think that would be my dream, like the problem solving of like, okay, we've arrived at the campsite. There's no camp yes, and there are dude. no sites. Honestly, <laughs> what do we need to do? I mean, and it brings like so much like tech out of the chef's essence like the you know the sibling drama between like brian and mike is like such a constant and it, i love that this episode it really took the angle of like brian is convinced that like mike is a bitch because he's like never been camping before like he, he can't handle it like okay like they're uh, the other thing that was really funny was when they arrive in the cars to the hot toyota highlanders furnished oh, by toyota boy. highlander 
Um, when they arrive to the campgrounds, Eli says, is Padma sleeping in a teepee too? <laughs> And I guess my question, I think that he meant it like, wow, this is so unfair. We're literally sleeping on dirt. But it also could maybe be a bit of like a, is Padma Yeah, yeah. He's like, he, he like, like kind of giddy about it. Yeah, like, is she one of those? Um, but also, Eli, we learn two seconds later, has a girlfriend. Wow. Which was one of the most surprising That actually is surprising. I've ever heard. It's not nice to Whatever. say. Um, okay, so... Uh, chefs are starting to cook as the chefs are sort of like getting their plans together assessing sort of the surroundings we get a little bit of info on you know to your point like what did you call a trail barbie like who's the trail barbie and who's like really like with it um we learn ashley grew up in the woods actually grew up using an outhouse so does that give her competitive advantage i guess we'll see um, surprisingly Mateen says that he has a lot of experience camping in oh, the yes. Basque country the Basque but like country. you know camping in the Basque country is like go get your provisions from the local grocer oh, yes with yeah. a, a <laughs> loaf of brie and a nice soft or a loaf of bread and a nice soft brie just like, like a delicious it's no wine. camping he's ever done before we also have Robin being like yeah I love this yes like, I this love getting my hands dirty it's so cool I'm an older lady um, and then we have Ron Doing oh my. a little voodoo spell on his tent to keep snakes away. Loved. And then, yes, we have the brothers camping trip, which is really sweet that they bunk together. Yeah. Uh, and then... I guess my guy couldn't get in there quick enough. <laughs> Too slow in the draw. Um, it was like those teepees looked really small. I was amazed that they had two in people. them for real, though? I guess. I, I mean, think so. It'd be kind of dishonest if they like tricked us like that. They Where must would they go? Them. And then the last bit of information we get is that Ash was once an animal psychologist after trying to be an actor. Okay, yeah. Ash is like kind of starting to annoy me. We got a like, lot of backstory in this. Yeah, I, I don't know. So he, I, I do love that he like doesn't believe in camping, which is like, of course, the New York chef is like I don't the, the gay New York chef. Well, yeah. Um, anyway, which so, he continues to say, "I'm not being weird about it." So. Oh, God. So in in addition to, like, there's sort of being, like, half of the group is like, oh, I love this. I love being outdoors. And half being like, that, this is, like, feels a bit much. Um, we, we have, like, a similar division as far as, like, um, maybe not, like, temperature of food, but, like, willingness to work in the environment. So we have, like, one group of chefs who are like, yes, I'm going to, like, make this fire pit work for me. I need to, like, get all the flavor I can out of this. And then we have, like, a not insignificant number of chefs, like, making ceviches. <laughs> Which our ceviche counter is like if it were a thermometer, it would be blowing yes, out the, the mercury top. would be gone. Oh um, my gosh! Yeah, it was essentially like, will I embrace this challenge or will I survive this challenge? Yeah, that's and a good way to put it. It was essentially the survivors were the ones who were trying to really skirt the rules in every pot. Essentially, not cook. Yeah, and it really the easy way out. But let's use that as a way to get into what people made. Yeah. So in the survivor category, I would say number one survivor is Metin. Oh, yeah. Ceviche, three ways. Yes. I have a question. Do we count this as one or three? I counted it as three. I counted it as three. Especially because it was three different fish. Three different fish. I also like, and this is something that I think is so of the times, like the blank N ways. Like onions, two ways. Ceviche, three ways. Like you have to, and it comes up, I think, you know, in later episodes as well, but I just like, oh my God, that just drives me kind of crazy, actually. There was a real phase in Top Chef, I think between now and probably season like 12 or 13, where there were a lot of duos. 
Uh-huh. And the duo yeah. always went home. It was like, just, and t- you, I can hear Tom Colicchio's voice in my head, just do one thing well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh yeah, the ceviche God. three ways. <laughs> we'll get to it, but ugh. Ron also surviving by doing a ceviche, which he also paired with an island mojito. Oh we'll boy. get to that later. Um, and then we have um, in the embracer category, mm-hmm. I would put... Mike Baltaggio, even though he's been a bit annoying this trip or this episode, he really went for it. Yeah. His stuff was looking good. Yeah. Yes. I think Ashley really got into it. Oh, yeah. Robin tried. Did she succeed? We don't know. And then the one who really went for it is Laureen. Yeah. P- potato on the a fire. Baked- she was like, I'm crazy. I just put a baked potato on the fire. I'm like, that's kind of a pretty normal thing to put on a fire. I don't know. Like, if you put it in tinfoil enough. <laughs> yes. Um, but you see all of them essentially interpreting the challenge differently. It is. This is chaos. I think, I don't know why they gave them such little time on this challenge. Yeah. Considering the constraints and how well, and foreign it was to all of them. Were they prepping, like, how, were they prepping the night before? And Unclear. Then, yeah, I couldn't tell that either. I couldn't see, like, mise en place. Because, like, you can't really leave shit out overnight like that. So, um, yeah, they didn't have a lot of time. Um, a couple of people that we like actually didn't see a lot of, like didn't get a lot of airtime this episode was actually Jen and Kevin. Um, yes. Jen, I think, uh, and both, I believe both did duck ironically. Yeah. Good um, point. And both did well enough. I think mm-hmm. that the, you know, we can kind of flip and talk about like what dishes really worked in the elimination challenge. Kevin's was certainly one of those. Kevin had a beautiful plating, too, Gorgeous. for, like, the circumstances. Um, but that was the point. They said well-cooked, exactly. well-prepared, yeah. well-cooked, and well-presented. Um, Padma loved that mole. Um, yeah, they weren't... They didn't... I don't think they, like... I thought they think... I thought uh, their reaction to Jen's was, like, it was good. And I think it was also coming off of the uh, round of, like, a lot of really bad dishes. And the chefs were like, it's not that bad. Yep. Um... Yeah, there were a lot of bad dishes this go around. So let's uh, talk about them. Yeah, let's like circle back to Mateen. I know we like kind of kicked it off with him, his mm-hmm. ceviche three ways. He had a tuna ceviche, a salmon ceviche, and a cod ceviche. And Tom Colicchio literally spat the food out. He like got up. And he got up and it. removed it from his mouth. He would yeah. not even do Mateen the service of swallowing his food is how bad it was. It sounds like the fish was rotten. Yeah. Like, in addition to being poorly prepared, right? it also was rotten. So, disgusting. Unbelievable. On the equally disgusting, uh, in the equally disgusting camp, Robin, with her prawn and grilled salad, I, like, to me, again, this is, like, the shrimp on the salad. Stop putting shrimp on salads. And, like... There was also sausage in there. Yo, disgusting. What's his name? It also had bacon in it. Yeah. So we have one for the bacon counter. Um, There's actually a lot of bacon in this episode. A lot of bacon. we need to update our I counter. Mean, cowboys, I guess. It makes sense, but... Yeah, no, but Robin and the shrimp tasted, like, chlorine. Yeah, that was, like, a pretty bad And the bad thing word. that really pissed me off, and I think why we're starting to see... Um, the chefs get very aggravated with Robin and this that's going to come to a head in the next few episodes is she literally admitted to not trying her dish and then the second she yeah. tried it, Oof. she realized it was bad. Yeah. So it's like, why didn't you try it before they got to the table, Robin? Like, do you really care that little about being in this competition that you wouldn't yeah. even try your food? So yeah, that one was really bad. 
Um, and then um, another dish that was not very successful was Ash, who just seemed to have put too much bacon on his dish. I think it yeah. just tasted like a slab of bacon. And then another unsuccessful um, dish was Eli's tuna sandwich. Which I love a tuna sandwich. I was bummed. I mean, I thought of you with this one, and I was thinking of... More on that later, just yeah. so you know. Okay. There's a story there, but Nancy has a little bit of like trauma from a hot tuna sandwich, and we'll we'll get to that later, it sounds like. Um, or we can get to hot tuna now, but to you know peek behind the curtain, my judge's table is about okay. uh, this tuna. Honestly, you might need the whole two minutes. I might <laughs> I might sacrifice my two my minute for you. Um, okay, things that really made me happy, though, as far as like people on the top, I, I was so thrilled that Ashley nailed this challenge. We love Ashley. Love Ashley. Ashley stands. Um, the judges kind of unanimously said, like, this is her best dish so far. Mm-hmm. She's cooked, um, I, I think this is, like, one of the best meals of the day. She really nailed the sort of vibe that she was going for with the club sandwich. I'll also say that I have not really been a bacon eater for the entirety of my life. I still don't consider myself someone who loves bacon, mm-hmm. but I did have a club sandwich for the first time in my life recently, and I can't get it out of my head. I love a club sandwich. Oh yeah, I, mean, I get it. Now. That's kind of surprising. You you strike me as somebody who would really well because I love, love turkey sandwiches. Sandwich. Yeah, but it's well, just I yeah. never really liked bacon. I still don't love it, but oh my god, a club sandwich. Yeah, it's the perfect balance. I was excited about that. Um, Other people who did well. Oh, okay. I love this. I wrote, uh, you know, as the chefs are like getting their plans together, we see Brian who quote said. Uh, yeah, I was just getting my dish together. I stared at the grill for about an hour thinking about it. And I can fully just picture this dude just standing there in the desert just looking at, like, looking at something for an hour. He's, um, he's, he's literally a Boy Scout. So, yeah, he's just, like, you, I don't know. He's, honestly, he grows on me. He's so earnest. Like, he's so just, um, oorah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> That's just what I, I love that he used dandelion greens. Mm-hmm. Um, loved, loved, loved. He definitely was, like, the one the judges most likely would want to camp with. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, and then speaking of the Voltagei, let's talk about Mike, who did a, what sounded like incredible right. dish. It was a dashi with black cod and Japanese fish fry. And it was just one of those dishes that completely – it didn't disregard the cooking – it just didn't see that as a challenge. Yeah. He made the dish he was going to make regardless of what the cooking situation was. And I think that was incredibly commendable in the challenge, considering you had so many people who avoided the cooking setup at all costs. Yeah. So why don't we move on to judges' table and talk about who was on the top and who was on the bottom. Yeah. So on the top, we have Lorene, Ashley, Brian, and Mike. I was really glad to see like a little bit like new people up here yes, this week. I agree. Um, I, and it's funny, like, with Lorraine, like, I think every episode I say and spell her name differently. Like, I thought it was Lorraine for a really long time. Okay, so it's Lorraine, fine. Yeah. Um, I yeah, think, we've said good things about all these dishes. I, I think that we don't yeah, need we don't to need belabor, to belabor it. it. Um, so know. why don't we belabor the bottom? Let's belabor on the and bottom. And let's talk about how they reacted in judges' table. So we have Robin, Ron, and Mateen. Robin was completely confused. Um... Or her dish was her dish was completely confused. All of a sudden, she gives this rationale for why she made it that is completely out of left field. She says she wanted to make a play on steak, so I gave you sausage and shrimp. And there was nothing. If you're going to replace one ingredient, like you need the replacement to have the spirit of the ingredient yeah. you replaced. Neither shrimp nor sausage does that. And um, Tin Love really called her out for it. Yeah. 
So that was not a good performance for her at judge's table. <laughs> then we have Ron, who oh, made God. the better of the ceviches. Right. But a seemingly inedible cocktail. Yeah, that was pretty hilarious. He's like, I don't drink. And they were like really disgusted by that drink, yeah. I think he thought it would be cute and that he wouldn't be judged on it. Yeah, that's again like the rule of just like, just do one thing well. They don't are judging you on every yeah. single ingredient and every single component of your dish yeah. and if that one of those components is a cocktail that is part of your consideration yeah so you just gotta remember um, that okay so we already i know we've just like really like beat up poor mateen on his dish today but like <laughs> tim love coming there and being like i'm not well from it i'm sick like the dude got like food poisoning from mateen's shit and like but he said in that really southern like wait, color, he's like i'm not well from that and, and what and what did he he was like tom didn't even do me like no tom yeah tom did me the favor yeah tom didn't even do the kind thing he made me try it first yeah i was like, like oh my god that is brutal brutal oh my yeah, goodness that was pretty hilarious but anyway you know unfortunately but a bit predictably we see our soldier mateen our french soldier mateen Leave. Leave. And on the flip side, we kind of glaze over. Brian takes the win again. Who And in his winning, he says, every time we seem to stand at judges' table, I seem to win. Oh, I love that. You know, he's a guy that kind of like earns when he yeah. gets, says shit like that. Yeah, Michael is... I know that I've beat up on Brian a little bit, but I am turning on him I, in this yeah, season. I like he's him. so sweet. He's so good. He's the Brian I now know and love. Yes, yes. But yeah, so Mateen goes home. Uh, Nancy, okay. <laughs> ceviche three ways. Are you eating any of those ceviches? I am not <laughs> eating a single ceviche prepared three ways. I would not eat that dog. No, would you eat that dog? I would not eat that. I'm not well from it. I'm not well from looking at it. <laughs> it looks um, so gross. I also just don't want to reward like ceviche on this challenge. That's, no. Ceviche is truly only appropriate on a quick fire, and even then, it's it's such a cop out when you do it. Agree. For a main, you're kidding me. Nah. No. Okay, so we've both agreed we would not eat that. Sad to see the Frenchman go, but it is time, Bips, to tell you where are they now? Mateen Nobila, no longer a chef. Whoa, I didn't expect that. Yeah. LinkedIn. He's got a LinkedIn. He's got a LinkedIn. I wonder what, okay, quick interjection. Yeah. I wonder what percentage of top chefs have LinkedIn's. We can go back and look. Leftovers. Leftovers. Make a note of it. That would take forever, but yeah, let's see what we can do. Yeah, you know, I'm actually going to go in chronological order with this. Okay. So um, he had his restaurant in San Francisco called Iluna Basque. It closed in 2012. Mm. So you have on his LinkedIn, it says like, I think 2007 to 2012, Iluna Basque. In 2016, his next position on LinkedIn is being a real estate agent. Whoa. Okay. He appears to have been a real estate agent until 2021 when he got into, quote, business advising, independent consultant. And then in 2023... He, or sorry, in 2021, he was doing business advising. Then he seemed to start focusing on Web3 companies. Wow. And in 2023, he joined a company called Arthera as the head of business development. What is is Arthera, you might ask? Arthera is an EVM-compatible Layer 1 blockchain with native subscriptions, unmatched scalability, and a DAG-based Proof of stake consensus model. Of course. 
I don't understand a word in that sentence. I, I, that's a lot of letters strung together. Um, this is, to date, the biggest curveball from any of our eliminated chefs. Okay, I know one acronym, EVM, is Earned Value Management. Okay, show off, humble brag. Because I just Googled it. Okay. <laughs> and I, but I didn't hear the other ones. And honestly, it's probably not worth even looking into. But wow, Mateen, what a 180. What? It's so wild. Um, he also no longer lives in the United States. He lives in the south of France and has three children. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, but I just couldn't believe it. That's crazy. The biggest left turn. Yeah. I wonder from- if he would still be a chef if he didn't go on to Top Chef. Well, his restaurant went until 2012, so it was another three years after his yeah, Top Chef appearance. Yeah, I guess, yeah. But really just an incredible second chapter. Good good for you, Mateen. We'll, be, <laughs> we'll not be following you, but... Um, we'll not. But anyway, with that, let's move on to our judges table. Honestly, I'm going to be straight, Nancy. I don't have a judges table this week, so I'm going to cede my time to you. Whoa, I don't know that I need two minutes, but I will, you know, because I'm a woman of my word and honor... I'm going to start the stopwatch. Nancy, your I'm saying it to myself. Nancy, your judges table starts now. One minute. Go. Tuna sandwich. Oh boy. I love tuna sandwiches. They're a foundational part of my life. Growing up, I would always request tuna on toast. And when I was really young, I couldn't really pronounce it correctly. So I called it tuna on toes. And so now in my family, we call it tuna on toes. But anyway. Eli's tuna preparation leads me to something that I have felt for a long time, which is nobody should eat tuna steak. No restaurant should have it on the menu. Tuna steak should not be something that is offered in any fine dining establishment. It always looks and smells better than it tastes. It, is, it always has a sesame crusting with like a sesame oil that is flavorless. <laughs> and it is just not good. Dude, I always regret ordering it. Sorry to interject. I always regret ordering. It's weird. Why is it? It's like room temperature in the middle. It's like- never good. Tuna should either be prepared raw, ceviched, yes. <laughs> or in a tuna salad. And by the way, there is only one way to make tuna salad. And it is my way to make tuna salad. And it is tuna, mayo, sriracha, lemon juice, dill, Dijon mustard, and... Uh, scallions. That is how you make a tuna salad. It is delicious. Anybody, I will happily post my recipe online on compliments to the chef pod on Instagram or TikTok. Uh, all I can say is that Eli, you did an abomination to the tuna. You did it dirty and I will not accept your tuna sandwich. Nancy, what an episode. It's been a wild ride. Um, (laughs) thank you guys so much for listening. This is compliments to the chef. We'll see you next week.